Yes, folks. Uh, hello and welcome to The Game is About Glory uh, this Christmas season. I, um, I see Milo's Christmas tree behind him, which is taller than him. And I can assure you that means it's a very tall Christmas tree. And he informed us that he uh, carried it. Uh, did you carry this one five miles? No, no, no. This one just carried half a mile. No, no. Oh, no. I think five but miles you have my... carried one five miles. Yeah, no. It's it's um, endurance Christmas tree carrying is, uh, is a, season, a season, <laughs> seasonal endeavour. And um, yeah, I think my record is carrying one for five five miles when I I'd left it so late that that was the closest one to my house where they were still selling them. <laughs> it's extraordinary. So if you ever see the game is about Glory's team entry into a Highland Games, uh, you know who our K-Bar tosser is going to be. Um, uh, Gareth, uh, hello. Hello, hello. Yeah, I just Sorry, really realised we're, we're doing our preamble for about half an hour. And I don't think we've mentioned once the game today, have we? So, Oh, that's right. There's a game to mention, isn't there? <laughs> Yeah. And there's actually quite a lot to get into. You're right. Um, you know, what a week it's been. Um, you know, the, our mighty Spurs have, I think it's fair to say, been weathering a storm um, in recent weeks and especially the last few days, uh, we, we would say, um, from last Thursday on. But we have weathered it. And we've come through with this resounding 4-1 thumping of Newcastle at their new lane earlier. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about all of that. We'll talk about Thursday's defeat to... Uh, <coughs> <laughs> and we'll venture into our own uh, personal pod insight into exactly what the story's been with all of this stuff, right? So um, you're right. There's plenty to get into. And I think we should probably start with the uh, game against Newcastle. Team selection, as we always do. There were a couple of surprises um, or changes, I should say. Uh, Richie and Sar were in for Hoybier and Lacelso. Chaps, who wants to kick us off this evening with uh, our talk about the Newcastle game? by telling us what they thought of these changes. Who wants to bring that? Um, I mean, I was a bit surprised. Um, so, I mean, it's not just kind of, you know, a couple of new faces coming in. Actually, you know, how we lined up was different to, well, it's the first ever time we've lined up like this with these players because the last time we played with Sun on, on the left and, and uh, Richie up top, Johnson wasn't wasn't with us or wasn't available. Um, so, yeah, um, back for us it was against West Ham. Um Saar, Biss and uh, and Decky in in the midfield three, um, and then up top, Sun on the left, Richie up uh, leading the line, and Johnson on the right. And I was say a little um, apprehensive say before the game about about that configuration. I say I think um, I think Sonny's our best um, best striker of the ball, best forward, and um, you know I, my preference is to see him through the middle. Um, so you know, from that point of view, and I, I think earlier in the season when when we had it this way round, I don't, you know, I think we improved after we switched switched their positions. So I was a bit surprised to see um, Ange go back to it. But I think you know after the game, both him and and Son have talked about it, and you know the, the logic for, for it, I think I think makes sense. Yeah, I think it's almost impossible to to critique the lineup today without touching back on that West Ham performance. And I felt that today's starting eleven was a reaction to the I think some of the shortcomings on Thursday night against West Ham. I I mean, being in the stadium on Thursday, it was it was sort of palpable how much play broke down by having wrong-footed players in those both advanced positions out wide. So I, th- I thought that was what today corrected. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was sort of. I'm quite ambivalent about analysing the selections before the game simply because, uh, as, as you will both know about me, I, I try and trust our managers as much as possible, sometimes to my own detriment, <laughs> it must be said. Um, so, you know, I mean, my only thought was that Trippier was quite tired and that, you know, Sonny, you know, he, Sonny would know him and would probably know how he could... Uh, you know, have him for dinner. But as you, uh, you know, we'll get into all this later. I, I think for me, the big one was Saar. 
um Sar coming in i thought it, i thought it had to happen and uh in terms of the Celso, I, I wasn't sure what that was about i could only assume it was to try and manage his minutes and make sure yeah. that he doesn't break down over the coming weeks um but you know because and, and and we had the opportunity to do it and we took it and i thought it was yeah. the right thing to do I, I think that's right. I mean, I think if you know, the Celsius had a kind of unhappy history with us with you know, breaking down after a few games, and over the last you know, month, really, we haven't had the option of rotating much, have we? So no. he's been forced to play. You know, he came off early against West Ham, which I th- you know I think was probably again was managing his minutes, and you know if that's the case, I think I think it's a smart move. Um, yeah. And also, I think you know, Newcastle are quite a physical side, and um, I think against West Ham. Geo's getting quite a lot of those kind of tap tackles on the ankle when he's on the turn that has that has fucked Madison effectively. And, yeah, absolutely right. And yeah. um, I think uh, Decky's a lot more able to kind of withhold or withstand the the rough stuff and come away with the ball. And you know maybe there was a concern that um, we you know, we walk into another injury with uh, Geo if he's in the red zone and then also against yeah. you know quite a physical team. Yeah. Steph, say on on Thursday, um, you know, you said that you thought that the kind of team lacked urgency and an incision. Mm. You know, and Gareth has touched on kind of players on the right side. We've talked about kind of that selection today. Do you do you think we put that right in this game? I do. Yeah, I do. And and I'll I'll explain sort of what I meant um because it's quite nuanced. Uh I thought we were I thought we were roaring until we got to that final third and then suddenly we had too many players who seemed um almost not quite deer in the headlights but didn't seem to feel it enough to to take advantage of those you know, those pockets and those uh, that there were chances, right? I know XG didn't say that, and we've talked about XG before, and I know, Milo, that you feel quite strongly about using XG on a single game uh, basis, that it's to be used over a season, which, you know, I don't... Uh, Longer sort of don't games, agree games, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I just agree or disagree. I'm not, as you know, I'm not a huge XG person. What I will say is I thought we had a lot of chances uh, yeah. that didn't become chances because we lacked the courage. Now, I'm going to look at Brent, Brent Johnson for a moment uh, here, and I think that uh, Swiss I think him playing where he played today and Sonny playing where he played gave them both. They're both playing in their best positions. Well, you, I know you disagree with Son. They're both playing in, shall we say, positions they're very comfortable with, they're, that they're, they feel comfortable in. Um, I think Sonny led by example today mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of he, anytime he got the chance to have a go, he had a go. He took it. He was very fast and, and quick with his passing, quick with his movements, looking to get by his man wherever he could. And I thought Brendan Johnson took a little bit of that on mm-hmm. as well. I, I'm someone who thinks that Brendan Johnson um, on Thursday, I just, I almost wanted to grab him by the shoulders and say, Brennan, you are as good as you think you are. You just got to believe it. Just go for it. Take that gap. And I think that when he's got someone like Hoybeer playing with him, who maybe slows it down a little too much, I think it, it puts the seed of doubt. That's what I saw growing on Thursday. And that's what I meant became a bigger problem. I think today, Saar in the middle alongside Basuma, Saar is so fluid. And so, and so, I mean, he played several first-time passes today that were spectacular. So that's, we'll, that's we'll, come, we'll come back. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to Saar. But that was the difference I thought was uh, that was the main difference I thought was addressed. Uh, was that you know that 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 front three they really they were playing with with verve and and with belief that yeah even if this team is sitting deep we can get in those pockets and we can get in there and make things work. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. It's difficult on West Ham, isn't it? Because I think if we've taken one of those chances, then maybe the game flows from there. And I think in the in the first half against West Ham, 
I think we probably had you know six or seven very very good chances um you know quite you know quite close to goal that we just didn't take I think as the game wore wore on and we tired um I think we certainly um were guilty of dithering on the ball then I think kind of that first uh, 10 15 minutes against West Ham I thought I thought we were pretty incisive and I think we were trying it just wasn't coming off and you know I think that's that's the issue we're not taking advantage of those chances when it happens um I mean I think in terms of um kind of Sun and and Johnson on their natural side I think there's advantages and disadvantages to it and I think it probably depends on the opposition um you know I think what we clearly saw today was that they were able to put in crosses earlier because you know they're going on the outside and they're playing on their natural first and and it's easier and you know you certainly saw that with Johnson and I think you know kind of against West Ham Johnson had a couple of um quite soft shots um where he he had good chances and he just kind of just kind of rolled it to 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 the keeper uh to Fabianski and um you know during the game I was almost thinking that we ought to kind of send him off to go and train with uh Sonny's dad for a for six months and see see what comes back um and maybe that's something that comes from with maturity um I think also um yeah it gets Sonny involved more in the game out there you know the the striker in an team isn't involved massively in build up so you know when when you've got to, uh, you know, space to attack, then Sonny is you know through the middle makes sense. And I think you know earlier in the season we were seeing him do really well at those kind of snatch shots and stuff like that, which he hasn't had the chance to do, or he's been fluffing them a bit more of recently. I think the disadvantage of having Sun uh, wide is that he does tend to drift inside. It can make it a bit narrow, and that's kind of that's been kind of my concern about it. I don't think it was so much of an issue today, and I also think with both him and Johnson on their natural side, defenders are know know which way they're going to go because they're always going to go down the line, and I think that can make it a bit easier to defend against. But I think it's kind of horses for courses. Sorry, go on, Steph. No, sorry, Gath, because I know we've got to bring you in in a minute, but I just have to throw this point in there. What you're saying about defenders, they do know what they're going to do and they do them. Of course, that's where Poro and Adogi get so much joy, right? And especially today, they got tons mm. of joy. I mean, there's, all of a sudden, you've got people out there that have to be, you know, I was actually talking about this with my friend Johnny. You've got, you've got people out there that defenders have to pay attention to uh, because yeah. they're dangerous in those positions and it just opens up those channels I, and Dougie do, and Porro had really had, you know, were able to come into their own. Yeah, I, I do think though with Sonny, Sonny's always going to want to come inside which does mean he's going to squeeze the space that Udogi goes into. So I think, again, I think it depends very much on the opposition. Interestingly, Sun was in, interviewed after the game on um, by the, the Spurs play, the, the post-match stuff um, from the club and he said there that and wanted to do it because Newcastle sit deep. So he th- he was saying that it was a tactic for that um, because he, he, because but exactly as we're saying, you know, it allows them to get passes in behind the defence. And that was kind of one of my major criticisms against against West Ham was that we were coming inside too much. And it has been a criticism of mine pretty much all season is that we're not hitting the byline and getting balls in in there, which is where I think Sun through the middle will be thriving and we're not creating those kind of balls, those kind of chances. The other thing, just briefly, and then I will shut up, um, Ange was saying about Richie is was that he said that he thinks Richie's best position is through the middle. Um, he said that he moved him wide because he was playing with the injury and he couldn't take quite so much. And then again, Sun was talking about that post-match and Sun was saying, you know, it's the same injury as I had last season um, and was talking about kind of, you know, how he how that made him feel. So that that's, I think there's some interesting stuff to, to digest there. 
Yeah, I've, I've got a great deal more to add to that. If we're, we're still talking about lineups and, and who played where and where and why today, um, oh, I, I do think. Can, oh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to mention you, this because on one of my WhatsApp groups, and I said I have, I have some very negative Spurs WhatsApp groups um, that I'm in, but one of them I was in. One of one of one of my very good school friends um, told me he couldn't understand why Hoiberg wasn't in the team and why Saar was instead and I think we saw exactly the reason why I think you managed to find the only Spurs fan in the world who actually thinks that I mean I don't even know his mum thinks that is he Arsenal in disguise no he definitely isn't and that's not even the most radical message I've had on a WhatsApp group from another Spurs fan who I've known since sheltered in the last 72 hours as well I'll come on to that in a while because let's link to the West Ham game but but I think what you notice being in the being in the stadium is just how more quickly things happen mm-hmm. with Saar than they do with Hoiberg. So I think it's been a few times. And I'm not saying I don't think anyone's saying that Hoiberg is a, is, is a bad player. Just that it becomes really palpable when you watch every week that he he needs that extra touch before he gets a pass in. And when you want to play with the sort of incision and the pace and the tempo that Ange does, that split second is really crucial if the pass is delayed. Whereas I think Saar wants to do everything on the move, and I think that was really apparent today in the in the first half that. We were able to move the ball um, through the through the thirds much quicker as a result of a player who's always looking to receive the ball on the move rather than one who's trying to remove play it static and it maybe takes three touches rather than two to to shift the ball on. We're both chomping at the bit here to to address what your friend said. I, I know we are, Milo. So do, do you want to go first or shall I? No, I mean <laughs> your friend's an idiot. Mute him or delete delete delete. <laughs> leave that leave that WhatsApp group. I mean it's just. Uh, yeah, so that's got... not even the most stupid one that I've been in. So that's here's here's the thing with Pierre Hoybier for uh, Pierre Hoybier for me, and it, especially in, in Andrew Postecoglou's Tottenham, I, I I I respect and admire the aptitude and effort he has given for ninety five percent of his performances. Uh, uh, you know, the last few minutes today, notwithstanding. Um, but he simply doesn't fit the style. He's, he, I mean, he's pushing all his limits to try and fit the style in any way. Papsar comes in. And is the style. He is. I mean, if you can't see that as a Tottenham supporter, then you, I think you, I think you must be biased. I think you must have an investment in one of Pierre's. I don't know if he's got any businesses or something. I mean, I just can't see how anybody can't see that Pierre slows us down because he himself always, as you said, Gareth, needs to take a touch. Doesn't mean he's a shit player. He's a really good footballer. He's a great player. Probably do great at Bayern or somewhere. But he doesn't fit this side, does he? I, I think he's fine to see out a game. I think, yeah. you know, as he was used today, I think he's perfect. And I think actually, if you look at his contribution over the season. You know, I mean, he's had a he's had a tough season. You know, he started the season, you know, playing off the bench was yeah, so it was a really useful player. And then over the last kind of month, we've had to use him a lot more than we probably would have wished. And you know, he's played um, you know eight and six in midfield. You know, he's filled in at central defence. He, he's done lots of different stuff. And um, I yeah, I think to see out games, I think he's fine. I think he's a really useful squad member. Um, it doesn't it doesn't work. Starting him, I think, you know, partly because of that tempo um, reason you, you know, you're talking about, and also kind of playing yourself out of trouble. There was that moment just before the uh, before half time where oh, Saar twisted magical. one way, twisted the other, twisted back, and then just you know, uh, you know runs, away. Yeah, runs away with the ball. And 
you know, with the best will of the world, you could give hundred, uh, give Hoybier a hundred attempts at that, and he's not going to pull it off once. Um, right. I mean, you know, who are you going to play if you have a choice in a team that plays front foot attacking football? Are you going to play Steve McMahon from, you know, the old Everton Liverpool player, or are you going to play Patrick Vieira? I hate to admit it was a, a, a fantastic midfielder, and I think that we would be churlish not to say that surely Saar is all the best elements of Dembele with a giant dollop of Vieira in there as Ooh. well. Massive Ooh, well I'm, I'm not sure I, I'm Vieira. not sure I see that but um You don't see think, you don't see the Vieiras in him? I certainly don't see the Dembele's in him. I think he, I think he's a good player. Um I I think what he's best at is I think his energy level is is superb. So I think you know one of the things that we've got today in that midfield is you know particularly with you know Decky and and Sark can run all day and um yeah they're both um yeah, just really energetic, good pressers, you know, good first touch, decent, you know, decent on the ball. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's key against, as we said, you know, a Newcastle team that are quite physical, uh, but are tiring. I, I don't, I think he's a decent ball carrier. He's, it, yeah. I'm going to talk myself around in circles here. I, I think he's a good player. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I can see more, I can see more Vieira in him than, than Dembele. Loads more Vieira for sure. I mean, he reads the game like someone who's in their late twenties. I think his reading of the game is 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 excellent. He, uh, it's it's significant that we had fewer defensive um, issues to deal with. I think today he he pops up in places that you just don't that that the other. Well, yeah. I, I just think that I just think that's I just think that's you know the energy and and his pressing you know he just he's just relentless think, at that. I, well, we, I, we we love him, and I think we all, we maybe all see different things in him. I think he's I mean I think he's I think he's probably um, our most complete central midfielder at this point. I mean I I I think Bissouma certainly plays better when he's got Papsar next to him than when he's got uh, Hoybier for sure. He makes Bissouma a better player. He allows Bissouma to do the things that Bissouma wants to do because he knows he's got the insurance of Saar around him. So mm. anyway. Well, yeah, but it's, it's where the positive spin comes into it because you think, well, if Bentancur and Madison are back fully fit, does Saar get oh. into that three? So, which, is, which, which highlights the strengths that we potentially do have available in that area I of would, the pitch. I would, if I had Bentancur, Madison and Saar, that would be my first choice midfield. Absolutely. 100%. I I nail my colours to the mouse if we have a fully fit sign. But anyway, that's the sort of fun that we can hopefully enjoy in March, right? I I'd, 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 I'd start Biss, Benton Kerr and, and Madison. But I think but I think it's you know, what we've got then is actually options game to game because Brilliant. You know, you know, against a team that's gonna sit back, yeah, you know, ideally against West Ham, you know, if you start Madison, Decky and Benton Kerr, for instance, then you, you're gonna you yeah Biss is a great ball carrier. He's not a great passer. Benton Kerr is far better. You know, is passing and you know quicker passer than 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 Benton Kerr. Sorry, than Biss. So I think you've got the options to to swap them out there. Um, and yeah, I think you know much like we were just talking about with the front three. And you know, you might see different combinations there with that front three. Um, we would have the option of of moving things around, which we we haven't really had all season. No, um, no. we haven't really had that option. So let, I mean, let's let's seal off. I mean, we've we've touched on uh, Sonny being on the left and Richie up top, and I think we've covered the reasons that that happened. Um, you know, I think we have heard. I think we've even covered the fact that Ange said that since the operation, he's been moving much more freely. We got a chance to see it today for ourselves. What do we think? Do we stick with it? I I think it comes back down to to, to games. You know, down to who the opposition are. I think. Um, I think the indications are that he'll probably stick with it against teams that are going to sit back. Um, and I think, you know, against teams that are going to leave a space to attack, which probably is the, what, the, you know, the top 
six, top eight of the league, something like that. Everyone else is going to try and low block and counter, aren't they? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, Everton's the next home game, isn't it? So mm-hmm. You think they'll try and present similar challenges? You think to, so? Well, somewhere between Newcastle and West Ham. But we got the Forest on Friday, who notoriously start games very quickly, like we do. So it mm-hmm. might be like a basketball game at the start of that match. I mean, It'd be interesting to know how you line up against them. Can I ask you both? Do you think that we benefited a little more from having that more physical presence in the centre? I mean, you know, Richie could because he's you know, he's back to full fitness and so on. I mean, we were able. Not everything was going to come to feet today. We were able to put some, uh, you know, in and and look for him as, as an aerial presence as well. Do you think that makes a, a difference to for us overall? I, I've got to say, I think it doesn't hurt. I don't know. I physically, I thought we were, we looked really wound up today. I think that whatever Andrew said to them between Thursday night and this afternoon really resonated with them and they play with a team with real fire in their bellies, which in one instance, as I know we'll come on to talk about, could have been very costly on another occasion. So I just thought the whole whole team um, just looked Mm. like they had something to try and prove today and that perhaps led itself into the fact that Newcastle were were the walking wounded and perhaps had a more important game to focus on 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 Wednesday night than today and maybe drop 5%. And that 5% increase by us and 5% decrease by them, it it was really noticeable on the pitch. I mean, it looks in proper football man parlance like we wanted it a little bit more. Um, But that that, that was how it looked. We did look like we were slightly quicker to everything today and just wanted everything a little bit more. But we've got the luxury of you know, five days off before our next game, whereas Newcastle have got you know a day's rest, a day's training, and then they've they've got to play AC Milan in a in a must win game. Effectively, if they're going to stay in Europe after Christmas, um, so yeah, I think I think that's probably the difference. And you know, we've seen that before, haven't we? When we've when we're trying to juggle, you know, when you're trying to juggle Europe and and, and the league, and it's difficult. It's difficult. I, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think it depends on the game, Steph. If if someone's leaving space in behind, you know, I'd rather have the pace of Sun than than Richie probably. And your know, Sun's a lot more composed when he's through. Um, you know, Newcastle are you know quite. You know, both of their centre backs are pretty big, aren't they? We said they're they're physical side, so I think Richie probably helps with that. I did wonder whether um, Sun's getting a knock on the back against West Ham might have been a factor as well, in that you don't want him in the middle with with centre backs climbing over his back and stuff like that. Um, Um, Whereas you get him out against Trippier where, you know, he might get a a tap on the ankle, but he's not going to get a whack in the back, is he? And um, yeah, that might've been a factor as well. And Rishi did get whacked in the back of today. There was one particular incident there with Charles when trying to leapfrog him. It's interesting. I mean, I I think, I think there's been some very compelling um, observations and arguments, uh, especially from you, Milo, for, for, you know, switching here and there. But I I think I'd be very tempted for the next five, six weeks to actually stick with this and to give Richie that chance to really show if he can be, uh, that the forward that we need him to be, um, and and I really like the idea of of of, of Sonny and, and and Brennan being wide and, and allowing. It, I, I understand what you're saying about cutting in. It's all personal preference. We'll see. Uh, but well, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, for me, it's not personal not, preference. I mean, say so I'm not. I'm not saying about what necessarily I would do. I'm saying about trying to trying to get the best out of the system. When you look mm. at you know how we're trying to play, who are the best fits for those different uh, different places, different positions. I mean, I would say that you know one argument in favour of sticking with this is that you know left wing is by far and away the weakest weakest position it is, isn't in, it? in in our first 11 with everyone fit yeah. left wing is is by far and away our weakest position yeah and Sonny is by far and away our best player and he's played most of his career there now 
I don't think in this system it's the best it's the best use of him but it might be the best combination we've got available right now yeah. i do yeah. think there'll be issues against some teams about kind of ball retention uh, um from the wide players there because you know the advantage of having decky up top is that he you know kind of the ball sticks to him and he can bring others into play and it helps us have settled position further up the pitch you know if you think back to the man city game two two games ago we improved when he moved up up, up top from from central midfield i think the other issue you got with sunny is that um a lot of the time from that left wing position you're looking at balls to feet and then to beat a man over a short period of distance and that's not sunny's game um, but you know, maybe that's something we can solve in January. We can bring in a clear first choice left winger, and then we've got the choice of you know whether it's Sonny or, or Richie up top. That would be perfect. I suspect that we might have to wait till the summer because it's going to be difficult to get one of those players in January. But you know, I, I say I don't. I don't think there's a, there's a right or a wrong answer here. It's it's. No, it, no, I think it does depend on the opposition, not. and it's you know uh, how do uh, how you know how do we deploy our resources to try and get the best you know best team out we can each week. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing Richie getting a run myself. I thought, when, and I don't know. Maybe this is the moment to talk about it. I mean, let's talk about the fact he's got two goals today. Um, I think the, you know, his first goal. Obviously, it seems fairly easy, but he's got to be there. He's got to read the instinct. He's got to be ready. He's got to be in the right position. And I think the second goal. Um, and let's talk about the second goal for a moment. Uh, some said it was a heavy touch, regardless of whether it was or not. At first. He finished it a bit like uh, another chap who used to take on uh, uh, crosses in that position, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think if the defender's a bit sharper, they probably they probably take it off his toes as he brings down the cross. Um, but yeah, he recovered and took the shot well. Uh, I mean, the pass from Porro was yes. superb, and I think what a player. Yeah, I mean, I think he's gone quite what quietly under the radar. I mean, for me, he's our player of the season so far because. Yeah, there's other contenders who've had good spells, but he's been there consistently since Man United. He's been consistently excellent since Manchester United, and I can't think of anyone else who, who you know you can make a case for really because because they've been out of the team or you know or had had dips in form. I don't think he's had a dip in form this season. No, mm. yeah, it's an outfield player. So it's, it's him and Vicario really as a, as a yeah, and you know and, and you know and Decky. But he said he's, he's, he's but Decky had a slow start to the season, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, no, he did. I- um, I mean, yeah, Richarlison. I mean, hopefully that 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 I mean, the goals he scored today it's fairly monumental. Going into today, he'd scored five goals for us in in forty eight games. He'd never scored for us in a Premier League game in which he started, which I think was about twenty three or or, or twenty four. So there's a lot of monkeys he's taken off his back today. The only other goals he'd scored for us were headers. So these were these were two, albeit fairly close range shots with um, both with his both with his left foot. So that could be that that. Could could be really huge for him you know he's a player we've said that he, you know he's not never going to score you 20 25 goals a season that's not what he's been bought for and that's not what his track record ever suggested he can do but if he can sort of start chipping in we need players who are going to score sort of 10 to 15 yeah. goals if we've got four players that can do that then that starts to make out up for the loss of goals from selling Kane he just looked a bit more fluid to me in his movement overall and I don't know whether I'm allowing Andrew's comments about the operation to get into my sub you know my subtext there but i really just watching him he looked a little he looked a little more sure of himself in his movement I mean, and in his own physicality he just looked like he was much more comfortable in general I mean, I mean if anyone's going to know what loose loins look like it's you steph so i'm going to trust your judgment on that <laughs> i'm not quite sure what the root what the root of that is but uh, 
I'm somewhat intrigued, actually. I'm trying to think of that because I know you're right, but I just can't tag why. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those, but uh, I, I, I can't deny you're right, but I'm not sure why. Um, I, I got told I had languid loins once. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. A languid loin, a languid loin is not a, a good I, thing. I, I, I like how it sounds. It's a nice combination of words. Yeah, um, it is. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think actually, just just when we're talking about the goals, I think um, the first two, um, you know, really show yeah you know, the importance of getting to the byline. It's something we've we've complained about or moaned about quite a lot. You know, Decky, it's something Decky does really well, and we're not seeing so much of him this season, which I think is is a real shame, and. You know, I don't know whether it's something we worked on. You know, obviously both of them came from Sun, but um, you know, it is something that we need. And and it's it, you know, it, okay, in the West Ham game, we were absolutely calling out for it. So um, I thought that was a really positive sign. It creates really good opportunities because you, know, you ping the ball in there, and, and both of them actually, the the Udoki goal and and the Richie goal were very very similar, weren't they? From kind of getting the ball into the six yard box, and, and and you're there to take advantage, and it's, it's very difficult to defend against. Yeah, Sonny's really led by example today, I think, in overall with that performance. He really has. I mean, and, and of course, his penalty, uh, the first penalty we've had this season was dispatched with, with, with a plum. And uh, again, like another striker, we may uh, see if we can go the season without naming that we once had. <laughs> um, but I do want to go back to Porro because I do think uh, everything you've been saying about him is, is spot on. And what I love, as much as his creativity and his, and his drive, I love his attitude. His attitude is fantastic. I noticed another one of those. I've put the ball out like 45 yards in, you know, uh, just inside my own half, 45 yards up from my own dead ball line. And I'm going to pump my fist and I'm going to really enjoy having got there just ahead of him. And then you look at the score and you're like, hang on, we're 4 0 up. But yeah. that's what you want. You want this, right? And he's consistently had that all season. And uh, it's really exciting to see. And, yeah, uh, I would say, what a player. You know- and his set piece delivery has been really good recently, you know. So yeah. you know, he's really, I think with Madison out, he's the one who's really, you know, we talked about Decky last week, didn't we? But I think Porro is the other one who's really had to step up. You know, he's the best passer in this team after Madison. And, yeah. you know, his set piece delivery is good. He's really had to do a lot more. And you think about how much ground he covers and, you know, how many... Yeah, how often have we seen him take a heavy challenge and he just kind of picks himself up, dusts himself off and carries on yep. as if, you know, nothing's happened. You know, he's yep. not even picking up that many cards and he, he puts himself about. Right. He's, you know, he's quite, quite a physical player, aggressive player, but he's, he's just consistently on, on the right, right side of that line. Yep. Um, a yep. really, and again, kind of the reading of the reading of the game from him as well, you know, considering how far he gets up, gets up and, you know, how advanced he is to constantly get back and defend. And we haven't seen anyone really get in behind him, certainly not twice. No. Um, yeah, all season. Remarkable. Yeah, it was one of the things that I was most concerned about with this posi- with position he was up being or the role he was being asked to do that we would get exposed down that side. But yeah, he seems to have learnt the position, both what he does on the ball and off it really well. There was a really nice moment actually. So when he assisted Richarlison's second goal today, he went ran straight over to Ange. It was yeah, I saw that, yeah. whether, whether that was they'd specifically spoken about that play or whether it was you know, just a technique that they worked on. But there was clearly something in that that it was um it was it was it was premeditated. Another player that I think we've sort of touched on, um we don't have him in our notes, but I don't think either of you are gonna mind if I say that we really must give Ben Davis mm-hmm. another shout out, another excellent performance. Um it's hard to remember that uh he doesn't play in a back four regularly at this point. Um he he uh, he made one um made one recovery run today which uh, prevented a goal. 
Uh, well, the, 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 the touch, touch touch from, from Gordon's cross. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah nailed up. He's, he's, that's, he's, if he doesn't get it, yeah. I mean, he's... But generally speaking, again, he is one of the quote-unquote old guard players who's come in and not just done a job, but he's doing the job that Ange wants. I mean, he's he's very progressive. He, he's he's not afraid to push uh, to, to punch the ticket, if you will, and play this front foot style. Um, and and he's been very solid. And uh, since Christian Romero came back, you know, dare I say it, it's 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 looked really solid. He's looked really good. And uh, again, I think he was vying for man of the match today. I mean, I think we'd all agree that he, you know, there are several, but he was right up there. Yeah, I mean, I I think his future for us lies as a left-sided centre-back more so than a left-back. I don't think he's quite got the skill set to play in that inverted full-back role. Um, but you think about the number of different roles he's fulfilled. So he played on the left side of a back three. He was also playing as a left wing-back at points mm-hmm. last season. Um, I just think he's... Um, well, academically, he's very intelligent. He completed a yeah. degree, didn't he, a couple of years ago? So that tells me he's someone who's very good at absorbing and taking on new pieces of information. Um, and he probably is able to apply that to his professional life as a, as a footballer. So he will pick up probably quicker than most others new instructions. I mean, we've spoken about, we've spoken about Hoiberg. We've, in, in previous weeks, we've spoken about Eric Dyer and they're players who maybe don't quite have the skill set to adapt themselves to a new manager's, um, way of playing or, or demands. But Ben Davis, Seems like he has got that ability or adaptability about him to ab- absorb information in a slightly different way and different instructions. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, I think a couple of weeks ago there's photos of him at um, an FA, um, like, I don't know, lecture or like course around. Um, I'm trying to think what it was. I think it might have been kind of business management in foot in football. Um, so I think it's inter- it's interesting if you look at you know his degree and everything else he's doing about you know whether he's thinking about what he wants to do you know after he after he retires and maybe he sees himself moving into that kind of administration area um, rather than mm. than coaching um it was a it was an economics and it was an economics degree he did wasn't it i think i, w- I wanted um, to say economics yeah yeah i think so yeah. so you know maybe you know maybe that's a, you know director of football or that that kind of side of the the game and there's multiple roles mm. there aren't there um so yeah, I mean, I think again, you know, he's he's a player that pretty much every manager he's played under since he's been at the club, and what's he been with us? Was it nine years now? It'd be, it'd be yeah, it'd be ten years at the end of the yeah. season. Twenty five, he joined but, us. But, you know, pr- pretty much every manager he's been on under, he's been a, a favourite of. Um, yeah, and apart from you know, Nuno, was the only one he left yeah. him out the team. <laughs> but you kind of think how wildly different they are as well. Yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, I think. You know, I mean, he's not as good as the player he's replacing, and we know that Ange um, had a go at him when he first came back into the side for not releasing the left winger as quickly as possible. Um, and you know that pass, um, you know, from the uh, Van der Ven does out out to the left wing, we're not seeing as much, and certainly not with the kind of the you know the kind of pace and and the the mm. accuracy we saw before. So that's dropped off a bit. But I think he's done really well. Yeah, I think he's done really well. And yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether he stays beyond this season. And, you know, if he did, and, you know, obviously, you know, centre-backs are going to be quite high up our list. You would imagine that we'd be looking to sign, you know, an understudy to Udoggy in the summer, you would think. So where where that leaves him. But I I think if he became, maybe only for a short term, but if he was our understudy for Van der Ven, I think that's a good solution. So I, I think if you're telling me is he a, is he our backup for Udogi, I don't think that's a good 
stylistic fit for what we want to do as a you know, as, as, as a central yeah. player on the back of left side. Yeah, of the I, I, I agree. For this season, for sure, it's working. I can't say to the summer. I, I hope that we get. I hope we continue with youth. But I mean, but anyway, he's had he's had a, a again another great game from him today, and he has really been uh, playing exceptionally well. I think uh, within the role he's been asked, I think Christian Romero's return has been incredibly helpful. In that, mm-hmm. I think Chris Romero has been incredibly helpful for the entire team. I think he's probably, uh, at this point, the premier centre-back in the Premier League in terms of being able to control the pace of a game. If he wants to slow it down a bit, he can. If he wants to up it, yeah. he can. I'd... He controls. He's like a librero in that way. He's brilliant. But... Mm-hmm. Before you get to the but, we're going to talk about the West Ham game separately. But I, I thought that opening kind of 15 minutes against West Ham... I thought he made a real difference. Although most of the game was at the other end of the pitch, I thought the the pace at which he kind of snubbed out any chance, the aggression that he was closing closing out those long balls, and the way he was forcing it forwards, um, I thought really, really, really helped us. And you know, I think there was similar today. He's just so positive in the way that he um, uh, you know, closes out play and the way he brings brings the ball forward or you know, passes the ball forwards. And I think it makes a real, real difference. It certainly does. I mean, there's one point today where I actually saw him getting after Anthony Gordon, and I swear to God, Anthony Gordon took a slight look over his shoulders, like "fuck me, I don't want to get hit by him," and just got rid of the ball. I mean, it looked like he'd intimidated Gordon to the point where he just didn't want to know. It's like I don't want to know. And Gordon's one of the form players in the league this season. Mm. You know, he's he's had a really good season. Yeah. Should we get to um, the negative now? Well, I, yeah, I, 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 we have to really, and we have to deal with it. I mean, first of all, let's address the challenge itself. I, I have to say, I think that that's a red card all day long, and I'm really surprised he got away with it. Really surprised. I'm grateful, but I think it's a red card all day long. That challenge, uh, chaps. What do you think? I think he was a he was the the dark clouds had descended over to him the red mist had descended I think at some point in the first half I said this in the WhatsApp group to, to you all at half time he committed um, a really needlessly excessive challenge on Almiron and I thought he was incredibly lucky to get away without a caution in the first half and then not long after that he had a swing and a miss and a complete air kick which having studied the sort of genesis of what happened at Chelsea. I, I, I put Sounds it down like a to, thesis. <laughs> yeah, so, so, something happens. Something switches off inside him, and he loses the, where he needs to be focusing his energy. Um, and that never really went away in the second half. That all it took, it took that incident between Callum Wilson and Vicario, which would have been fairly late on the game, which had nothing to do with Romero whatsoever. And then the foul that he then committed and then received the caution, which is, and I, I agree with you, another referee or another VAR official on another day who's perhaps slightly more overzealous, um, interprets that as a red card incident, which would have been a four game ban for us. Yeah. So he just has that fuck with energy about him. <laughs> I mean, that's a good that word. Yeah. I don't know whether we're ever going to lose it for him, and I don't know whether you need to work out whether it's net gain because of all that energy, the aggression that he gives you being a positive thing. But it's it, to layman, it just feels so unnecessary that he winds himself up to that extent, or that he can be wound up to that extent, and it doesn't take. Um, it, it, 
you can see it's going to happen again in the not too distant future that someone is going to wind him up and they are going to press his buttons and a referee is going to interpret something he does as a red card incident and then I mean it wouldn't have cost us in the game today because it was late on in the game it was already won um, but it could have ruled him out of the next four or as in the case with Chelsea I think, I think we'd all go back and say this now had he not done that against Chelsea we'd probably be sitting top of the league at the moment yeah I mean I think we sort of miss Madison but yeah I mean I, I agree with you I think it was um, you know, we've certainly seen, seen them given as red cards and if it had been given as a red card I don't think we could complain much I think um, I think it's probably one of those that the VAR is always likely to go with the on-field decision because the ref had a reasonably good view of it I think maybe in mitigation they might have thought because the ball's under the player they might have let him off a little bit for that um, but yeah I think you know if he got a red for it I don't think we could have um, complained too much and at that point there was nothing to be gained from it because the guy was on the floor he wasn't going anywhere with it and we had a comfortable lead so it was just a, it was just unnecessary um, I mean I think in terms of his game I'm not sure I'd want to get the aggression out of his game because I think he'd be half the player he was and I think you just got to take that as the you know as the complete package um, and you know what we need to do is we need to sign quality backups so that you know when he does miss, you know the the, the kind of you know the six or seven games a season he's going to miss through red cards. We've got someone decent to come in and cover him, mm. and uh, you know and realistically, it, it, you know he, he gets sent off against Chelsea, but Van der Ven doesn't pop his hamstring. We're still probably top of the league because um, the players who are coming, you know. Van der Ven can still mop up behind whoever he's played next to and, and we'd be absolutely mm. fine. So, you know, I, I think it's just part of his game. I think he's our best centre-back. Well, I think he's, you know, yeah, he's our best centre-back. He's one of the best centre-backs in the league. And I think you've just got to take the good with the bad because that's who he is. I mean, let me ask you both. And I mean, again, I don't know how close this uh, close this plays out. The first 10, 12 games of the season, or te- say 10 games of the season, very little interaction with referees. A yellow card here, a yellow card he there, got building lucky. up. Now, he got do you lucky. think, did he get lucky or is it because yeah. he had cheat mode next to him? No, Does he got cheat lucky. mode make a difference? No, because he, he could just have, get he, lucky. He could have got sent off against Bournemouth for the scissor kick. He could, he yeah, could have, there's, yeah, yeah. there's several okay. games there. I think, you know, just like today, yeah, he caught a ref on a good day or. You know, I I think he got lucky. And I think, you know, there's other times when, you know, he's been sent off for things where he's probably got a bit unlucky. And, you know, I just, he he's yeah. an aggressive okay. player. He's an aggressive player. He plays on the line. That's what makes him so good. But it also means that occasionally it's going to go the wrong side of that. Um, yeah. And you know, I think you just got to you got to take that, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the only it was the well, it was one of two negative spots. I think the other negative was giving up a goal. There's no need to concede there, and I think Pierre's just completely and utterly switched off. Uh, and I think that's that that's the only reason that Newcastle get a goal um, is because Pierre switched off. They get is that your goal. one positive, one negative? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's just uh, just bringing it to a close. I guess we're bringing it there. I mean, we 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 should say what we thought of Newcastle. Knackered. Yeah, I just th- thought it was a really, really good time to play them there. Um, they're real chalk and cheese from home and away. I've, I've seen them play. They've had some high-profile home games fairly recently. Really impressed with them against Arsenal. Very impressed with them against Manchester United. Um, obviously stuffed Chelsea a few weeks ago as well. But I mean, looking at their away form going into the game, they'd, um, their only away Premier League victory this year was at Sheffield United, which is a very emphatic 8-0 win. Uh, but they've lost on the road at, at Everton, at Bournemouth, at Brighton and yeah it felt like they were probably the ideal opponent for us to play eh, in terms of the number of injuries that they had and the fact that their focus was probably going to be on on Wednesday night as well so I don't think we I don't think that was a true reflection of Newcastle today I, I think 
think they're they'll probably be pretty close to us come the end of the season. I don't know if that's another T bet that's that's coming my way, Steph. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, again, I, I think they're probably a fairly fin- good we benchmark will, for us. We are going to finish above Villa. I get, I, I guarantee it. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I'm not. We'll finish above Villa. We will. Anyway, don't worry. We're overrunning. Yeah. Let's just press on rather than go <laughs> recover that. Okay, one positive, one negative in thirty seconds. Um, Which one well, of you wants to go for it? My positive was that I managed to get home in 52 minutes from the final whistle, which I was very impressed with. Um, and that was partly because, um, you know, people did say to the end, but it was a more staggered leaving of the game. I think people saw that the game was won after, certainly after, after 3 0 on a, on, a, on a school night. Um, and that was a reflection of how comfortable the game was. So that's, that's very much the, the positive for me. The, um, the the negative really is just yeah R- Romero hasn't learned his lessons we ho- we hoped he had after Chelsea but quite clearly he, he hasn't and that is a bit of a ticking time bomb until it happens again. Um, my positive is just really good to be kind of winning games that I think there's been quite a few games over the last month or so where actually we've been as dominant as we were today but we haven't been able to put the game away and um, you know this could have been another you know Villa or you know or, or West Ham where. Yeah, they get one back and then it, it starts wobbling. So it was, it was really good that we were able to put the game to bed and uh, and, and and win. Uh, my negative, um, it's a funny way to say, so Spurs women were playing Man United immediately after our game. And that was also uh, selected for broadcast by Sky. Um, so Sky had got both games moved in order they could show them on TV. And that meant that our fans who go and watch both the men's and the women's team were unable to get across to Leighton in order to, to watch this game. And I just think it's really annoying that, um, yeah, games getting moved for TV and then, you know, just the inconsideration to, to the fans that meant that they, you know, they probably had to choose, you know, had to choose between one, one game or the other one. Um, I think it's really unhelpful. Uh, I'll start with a negative because it plays exactly off what you said, um, but it's more actually thinking of the Newcastle supporters and what they had to go through to try and get to today's game, and uh, which I think, again, it plays into what you're saying. There's no consideration for the people who make these stadiums what they are, who bring who bring their, their passion and their energy, and, and, and players talk all the time about how important that is. Well, why doesn't the game start looking after them more? Why doesn't the game respect them more? Why doesn't the game like try and make it at least easier for them to get to and from stadiums? I mean, I know that, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. No good. Something you should say there were train strikes today as well over here, yeah. which would yeah. have hampered their which, which, which is Which, which just more, so. doubles down. I mean, you know, yeah. Why be, you know I, I would love to suggest that maybe the TV companies knowing all this could, you know, have paid for some coaches or something. <laughs> you say this all the time, you know. Steph. That's never happened. It's never going to happen. Yeah. I know. I, mean, I know. I live in. Probably... I live. In, I live in a utopian world sometimes, and I, I accept that. But you know, maybe if we say it enough times, these fucking greedy bastards will actually understand that if you keep on keeping fans out of grounds, the game will suffer. You're shaking your head. <laughs> just, uh, just is one that comes up about every other week or every other. Yeah, every few weeks you you decide that is, someone you, you, you say that someone. Someone ought to sponsor a coach for people. Um, yeah, but do you agree that they should? I, I mean, do you agree no, that people should I, look I, at you? Agree? Mm, Come on. I, 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 I think that um, I, I'm hoping that when the new football regulator comes in, they do something around uh, kickoff times and that there are some restrictions on when games can be scheduled um, given the kind of journey times and things like that. Right. Um, I don't think it's realistic to uh, like the kind of putting on coaches and stuff like that. And in terms of the rail strike, the rail strike would have been announced a couple of weeks ago and the game would have been selected for broadcast long before that. So, uh, you know, I think, um, 
I, I agree with the complaint. I don't necessarily agree with the solution. So, I mean, the, the TV companies would probably highlight that they pay X number of billion anyway, and it's the clubs who ultimately receive that money, and probably it's, it's them that should be looking into subsidising coach travel. As I know, Spurs have done over the over the years they have. when we travel to away games. If yes. we can just moan about trains, you know, I won't moan about trains, but that's I'll do that for another time. This <laughs> will really drag us into an edit that Milo doesn't want to get into. Anyway, that's my negative. I wish people would think of the fans more. And yes, I probably will say it again at least 10 more times before the season ends. Uh, try and invent a concession for the for someone. My positive is that, you know, I think obviously the win is, the, is, is a positive. That goes without saying. But if there were any creaks of doubt in the players' minds about the application of Ange Ball without, you know, the Van der Vens and the Madisons, if there was any creak of doubt that it might not be, you know, what's happening, we're not getting the results, this will have answered anything. It's happening and it's it's good. And they have the belief that they will get reinvigorated. I think, I, I actually think we're going to go on a, stri- a winning streak now. So, all right, chaps, let's move to the West Ham game. Obviously, we know that we lost it. We're not going to spend a whole bunch of time getting into it here. We have covered some things to do with that game already as part of our conversation uh, with today's game against Newcastle. Uh, let's just focus on a couple of the things that happened against West Ham. Um, how about talking about comically stupid goals that lose football matches? Um, <laughs> I think I know who wants to get in there first on this. He's wearing a sweater that could look like a Christmas sweater if uh, you were being generous. And uh, Gareth, take it away. Thank you. Yeah. So look, West Ham, and, you know, undoubtedly, offensively, there are some structural problems that we've already alluded to. You know, playing in wide forwards on their opposite sides meant that we were always cutting in and playing against a low block. But ultimately, this for me is another game of, of, of margins and moments that both of those West Ham goals were, were freakish. I, you know, if you conceded both of those goals in the course of a season, I think you'd be unfortunate. But to concede both of them in the space of of twenty minutes, I mean, the first one, I, I don't actually know that that's too much of a defensive error. I mean, yes, maybe actually, you know, conversely from what we've already spoken about, Romero, he should have been a bit tougher in not letting Bowen get away from him yeah. on the on the halfway oh, that, line. Yeah. But once Bowen gets away from him and crosses the ball to or plays the ball square to Kudus twenty five yards out, the you know the chances of them scoring there are minimal. Kudus takes a, a shot which I would guess had none of our defenders been there Vicario probably falls on it and saves it pretty comfortably at the very worst he tips it out for a corner so for it then to take two ricochets one I think the first one is off Romero for it then to hit Ben Davis, Davis. Yeah. you know, on the you know on a, on a compass that could have gone in any one of the other three hundred and fifty nine degrees, and it wouldn't have ended up in a goal. Um, the fact that it then falls for Jared Bowen, who's not even looking at the ball, and then finds himself seven yards out of goal with a goalkeeper who set himself for a shot that was going into the other corner, um, is is you know is, is is just freakish. It's not even that much of a of a defensive error, and then. I mean, taking the second one, I mean, clearly that is when the ball's at Destiny's feet 25 yards out from goal in the central position. I mean, if you played that on question of sport with what happened next, kind of the last thing that you would anticipate him doing is playing a blind pass backwards. I mean, that took me back 30 years when the back pass rule was first introduced and everyone was flummoxed and by instinct was passing the ball back to a goalkeeper who could pick it up. So where that pass came from, I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but I just think he underhit it. I think he, I think it's a pass that we've done 10 times every game 
all season and it hasn't caused a problem but obviously back passing to the keeper particularly when you're under pressure you know you're gonna you're gonna concede a, a few I mean I think probably where we're unlucky Gareth is that we didn't have the referee we had for the Man City game who would have thought about it and then blown up for the indirect free kick yes, for the goalkeeper yeah. handling the back pass uh, rather yeah, than allowing play to go on <laughs> yeah, yeah well again and that next phase of the the attack is incredible so yeah as you said it comes out and Vicario's I think is in two minds because I think he knows this is a back yeah, pass I and I can't handle it yeah. um, and then he thinks well actually no, there's a forward bearing does down on goal so I've got to do one thing and I, probably in hindsight you think just take the back pass and, and land on it horizontally as you'd expect to and then you're defending an indirect free kick from 17 yards when you can get 11 yep. players back behind the behind the ball if indeed it's given as a, a back pass so that indecision costs him and then the ball falls to Ward Prowse and it hits the post now that can either hit the post and go the other direction it can come off the post and cannon into Jared Bowen's feet who then gets called offside for being an offside position but then it falls back for James Ward Prowse who's got an empty goal from seven yards out so I, I don't necessarily know over the course of the game that we were unlucky not to win, but certainly West Ham were incredibly lucky to have won, if that makes any sense. I think on another day, neither of those things happen or the probability of both those things is, is, is reduced and we grind out a 1-0 win or perhaps West Ham hit us and score a goal from a set piece in the last 10 minutes because we're tied and that's a completely different narrative. But I just think it was one of those games where you have moments and, and, and margins, eight times out of 10, we end up winning that game and it is a real freak and it's just gutting that it's against them. Yeah, or... You know, West Ham have to push up more, which creates space, which means that we can actually start, you know, playing the football we want to play. I mean, I thought before the second goal, I thought we were coming back into it. And, I, you know, I think we'd wobbled between, um, you know, between the first, you know, after the first goal. And I thought, yeah, I think we were just coming back into it. Um, and then it was a real kind of sucker punch. And then we had, then, you know, then we had the issues with the kind of substitutions completely stunting us. And I thought after, kind of after Gio went mm. off, we, we kind of lacked ideas a bit. But, um, yeah, it was real. Yeah, I mean, the, the truth is, if Richie scores the sort of sitter that Holland missed against us at, uh, yeah. at Eastlands, it's two nil, and 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 that game is, and that game uh, becomes maybe three, wow. maybe four. So, you know, you know, Kurt Zuma puts the ball a millimetre the yeah. other side of the post at the end yeah. of the first half. You know, that yeah. was a really good chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, or, it almost I, felt like the... Conf- Sorry, you were going to say? No, I was going to say, or, or Paqueta gets caution for one of the four fouls that he commits. Let well, alone, yeah, there you I know well, you want to come on to that. But. Get that but yeah, I mean, I, I, it felt, in a sense, these stupid goals and, and everything we're talking about and everything that didn't... felt a bit... It felt like Chelsea light in that sense. It was a conflation of all the most absurd things that could happen in a football match, and it happened again. It's like, what? I do think it's one of those. I mean, you know, I think all of the criticism you know, we've had of, you know, kind of the incisiveness in the final third and, you know, the comparisons we've done between this game and the Newcastle game, I think are all valid. But I think also, you know, we created more than enough chances, good chances in the first half to, to bury this game and put it away. And, uh, you know, on another day, I think we probably would have done that. And then, uh, you know, I think we talk about the game very, very differently. And I think some of the reaction from our fans has been a bit, you know, I think, I mean, obviously the second half was really disappointing and we were, you know, towards the end as we ran out of steam and, you know, the substitutions really didn't help. Uh, and we, you know, we did run, you know, completely run out of ideas. Um, but I, I you know, I, I think some of it is a kind of reaction to the scoreline rather than, you know, all of the performance. Um, 
and and I think you know I, I I saw people talking about you know what we need to do is you know we need a plan B we, you know we need a big striker and we can lump it up oh. to them and all this kind of stuff and you're thinking well hang on you know all the good work we've done this season is around you know kind of building a style of play that you know trying to dominate teams trying to you know and then what you're saying is that the first time of trouble and let's be realistic we've had one and a half bad performances all season realistically and people are saying oh it's all broken what we need to do is lump it to the big man and it's it's really frustrating and there are people who are you know saying you know we need to be tighter defensively and all i mean it's like i I, yeah the same old platitudes get trotted out at times like this because as you said people look at score lines and statistics and runs and all this business they don't actually look underneath i don't think they i don't think they are looking at stats steph i think they're looking at a result and they're looking at how close that how close that how close how close that team are to us and then and then reacting to it that's sort of that's that's sorry my use of stats is probably more remedial than yours i'm talking about the simple stuff like the score and where we are in the table and we haven't won in four or five games i'm talking about those stats i'm not talking Mm. about getting into the deeper dive of per game saying people take the simple thing that's being trotted out by i have to say a set of pundits who continue to behave like dinosaurs in a way that i can't wrap my head around and they just get onto it and they parrot it and i think we all agree it's it's a little bit silly. One thing before we get to the final question, and we you touched on it, Gareth. I thought that, um, uh, like yourself, I thought Paqueta got away with an awful lot, and I thought what he did right at the end of the game. Why is that not seen by someone? That's why Decky's charging the ref at the final whistle. That's why he's wearing a mask today. I don't think it's a red card. I think I don't think. I mean, it's it's a nasty. I mean, obviously, the, you know, the injury's nasty. I don't think it was um, a kind of deliberate elbow. I think it's a kind of tussle as they're going through. I'd say I, at the time it didn't jump out to me. I so I rewatched the game again today and kind of looked out for it. Um, it didn't really, you know, on second viewing, it didn't really jump out to me. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Pekatar should, should have been cautioned. He committed several fouls up until that point. I mean, I wasn't actually aware of it until I saw Dickie in the face mask today, mm. and somebody said, "Oh, that's he got an elbow on on Thursday." So I'm, very interesting I'm replay but back. But I must be the only person then who noticed the player who gets uh, shoved around and pushed over and kicked and an elbow quite a lot in the course of of, of his, uh, you know, a season go absolutely ballistic at the end of the game. Game, charging up to the ref and having mm. to be held back. I don't think players generally behave like that unless they feel there's been some malice intended in the yeah, challenge. But that doesn't make it a red card offence. So if he's broken his nose, so of course, you know, that's that's serious, but it don't, doesn't necessarily mean it's a red card offence because it, you know, it'd have okay. to be intentional. Well, it'd have to be a you know, clear kind of, I think they came together. I think what you're missing what I said there is that Decky obviously felt there was malice in it because he's not usually a player to complain about a physical confrontation and he's been hurt before playing for our club. But anyway, we'll just have to move on. I can, we, we, we disagree. Andrew was critical of us not taking our chances and refused to agree that our first half performance was good in the interviews and press conference after the game. Chaps, what did you make of that statement? Um, I felt he was really making a point. I, I suspect he's probably quite a thick-skinned bloke, but I also suspect he's heard a lot of the noise recently and wants to distance himself from this idea that he's just a manager who likes pretty football and that the and the, the outcome is completely irrelevant and that wouldn't be within his interests, both internally or externally, for that to be a, a narrative that's perpetuated. And I felt it was a really good opportunity for him actually really to put his foot down there and just stop some of the conversation that's that's going on I th- maybe it was more for external purposes than internal purposes um I mean Ali Gold said he was absolutely fuming after the game and um yeah it was meant to be really angry um I I thought it was really good because I think he he set um 
kind of his expectations for the squad. I think it would have been quite easy for him to say, you know, to to point towards the first half performance, you know, say how dominant we were in terms of possession, and um, and then say, you know, we got unlucky with um, you know two freak goals, which which is true. Um, but I don't think it would have necessarily helped us improve. And I think by saying that, you know, just playing, just having possession and just playing, you know, good football isn't necessarily enough. You know, you got to you got to convert those chances. I think. Um, you know, I think he's setting out his stall and saying, you know, setting out clearly what he expects of the of, of the players of, of the squad. And you know, we've got, you know, again, he said to himself, you know, we're not in a position where we can go out and buy the finished article. We've got to buy players to develop. And I think, I think this is this is part of that. He did talk about it, referenced back to it in the press conference after the Newcastle game. Um, and in that, he was saying that he thought, you know, maybe in hindsight, he was a little harsh on the players. But what he doesn't want to do is he doesn't want there to be excuses. He doesn't want um, the players to, to feel they've got excuses. And he wants to, you know, not give them that space. So, yeah, he did say that kind of in hindsight, maybe he was a little bit harsh, but that's what he was trying to do. I th- I, th- I mean, just looking back at some of our other home games this year, I didn't think there was a great deal of difference between our performance against um, West Ham, where, of course, we didn't go on to win, and then maybe that home game against Fulham, which was fairly non-eventful, sort of bar us scoring once. Even the Sheffield United game, which we then on to win in, in stoppage time. I don't think there was a great deal of difference between them, other than against West Ham. We had those th- those two mad moments that went against us at the other end and, and we ended up losing. Um to, I mean, yeah, you you can see that the reaction it's had though on the performance today against Newcastle. So I, I think you always take positives from those, and you learn more from the from the games that you don't win. And it's presented itself a good opportunity just for him to remind him of the standards that is is set for them, and that is to continue creating genuinely good chances. Well, and I think uh, the other the other element uh, that I took from his comments, and I agree with everything you've both said, um, uh, and I agree with everything he said. I think he is once again reminding these players that the belief and commitment to the intent with which we play is of paramount importance. However well you're playing, there is that final element, and these are young players, and they are growing, they are developing. Brendan Johnson's probably six months from developing into the player we all know that he can be, um, but he's getting there, and, and and sometimes you just need to kick up the arse and. You know, I think, as you both said, rather than resting on what would be fairly plausible excuses as to why we didn't win this game, he's chosen to to use it as an example. And I do agree as well, Gareth. I think there is a little external, um, you know, not performance, but external voicing going on there just to let the critics know. It's like, you know, I'm not just the guy who sits here and goes, oh, hello, mate. Yeah, you know, what are we doing? Oh, do this, do that. You know, I, I can fucking lay it down when I have to. I think he was signalling a little bit there. So... Yeah, it turned out to be a positive in the end, didn't it? Because we won 4-1 today and we can stop talking about... (laughs) (laughs) You want to bring us through the week that was, mate? Yeah, go on then. So first up, Chris Davis, according to the Evening Standard, actually loads of papers now, we've rejected an approach from Swansea City for Chris Davis, our senior assistant coach. Uh, Davis emerged as a leading contender for the Swansea job after the championship club sacked Michael Duff last week. Uh, Davis has been was in consideration for the Swansea job back in the summer, but chose to join us instead. Um, at Ange's press conference on Friday, he seemed to suggest that he wouldn't block Davis taking the job and said that he sees it as part of his job to develop coaches um, and that he's proud of how many people he's worked with before who now managers in their own right. Um, how do you feel about this, guys? It's probably another unnecessary distraction. Steph, you got your hand up. 
Yeah, it, I, I think to me it feels like an unnecessary distraction, but I am prepared to accept that I don't really know enough about uh, what is in place as a contingency for this, uh, how Ange feels about it and what the plans actually are to get too scared of it. My instinct is to be afraid because it feels like it's unsettling and, oh, my word, we're going so well. But I have to trust that Ange knows exactly how to handle this situation and will handle it appropriately. So I'm going to choose the path of least resistance and say... Good luck to him if he if he takes the job, and I'm sure we'll be fine. Gareth? Um, yeah, but we, can, we don't really know the dynamic of his coaching team and who does what or how crucial any one individual is to that. Swansea are a really good progressive club. They've often appointed um, very young and progressive upcoming coaches, so you think um, Graham Poss is the obvious one that comes to that, but Roberto Martinez, when he was the next big thing, was largely because of what he achieved at Swansea. I mean, even even our mate Brendan, who we speak about often, he was once a young and upcoming progressive coach, and he took his first steps there. So, I think it is a you know it is a it is a compliment that for you know if you're Chris Davis, if Swansea are looking at you, I think they are they they do their research well. They probably generally recruit well. You know, obviously they've recruited someone in the summer. Is it Michael Duff who who mm. is not worked out for, and hence why there's the vacancy there. But you know, but on the whole, they do. Um, so you can understand his aspirations and, and ambitions should he want to take it. But it seems it seems as though there's you know, there's some doubt about whether whether we would want to do business or, or want to let him go. And so he is contracted to us at the moment. And if he goes, it will be because we've been happy to sign off on that. Yeah, I mean, Davis was there before. He was part of Brendan Rogers' backroom team I think it was as, an, as an analyst when, when he was there. Um, I mean, I think... From our point of view, I think it's far better to have good coaches that other people want than a load of old shit that no one wants. And so, yeah, I think um, I think it's probably good for us. I mean, there are rumours that um, that Mason's being linked with moves elsewhere. I think Ren, uh, the Ren job, he was being linked with, and uh, there were stories that he's got his his agents looking around for jobs as well. I mean, hopefully I'm that's doing, for the I'm summer rather well, than now. Doing- I'm doing well to hold on to my coaching ang- uh, departure anxiety here without you mm-hmm. bringing that up. Now I'm starting to get worried. Um, yes. <laughs> it, it, in terms of Davis's importance, I mean, he's Angie's number two. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's important. I think it's him and Mason who are attacking, uh, who are training the attacking players. Um, but, you know, presumably Mason will take on more of that himself. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, and then in turn, we'll look to bring someone else in, you know, whether that's now or whether that we leave that till the summer, I don't know. Um, but I do think actually that, you know, maybe one of the virtues we might have of this, you know, and not coming with a team is that we might see, yeah, movement in that coaching setup. We've got some fresh faces, some fresh ideas. We know that Angie's able to get his ideas across to coaches, yeah, you know, pretty quickly. You know, he'd never worked with any of these guys before. Uh, certainly not in a you know in a coaching setup. Um, and you know, maybe you know, maybe that's how we freshen it up because you know, if we, if he's going to stay around, then we need you know fresh voices and, and fresh ideas there. Yeah, so I'm mean, just on, on WalesOnline.com at the moment. They've they've listed the next manager odds in in full, and say Chris Davis is fourth favourite at seven to one. But I don't. This could be the best solution for everyone. You know, Milo. I know you've always been a big fan of this bloke, but at twenty five to one, Frank Lampard is a young progressive coach. What for for Swansea? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's about fifteenth down the list, but twenty-five to one. You know, the money's there. Steve Bruce is thirty-three to one, but the um, <laughs> I mean, the, the favourite actually is Nathan Jones, who I mean, he is Welsh, which I, I think so. Nathan Jones would be a great choice for them. He's a good manager, actually. Nathan Jones, a bit, yeah, bit, he's been gone too long, hasn't he? Needs to go back. I agree. Yes, <laughs> we're in the Nathan Jones fan club. That's you're right. Out of the game for far too long. Well said. Well said. Uh, Fraser Forster. 
has signed a new contract that will keep him at the club until summer of 2025. Pleased? Disappointed? Indifferent? Um, well, I suppose it staves off Swansea wanting to recruit him as their new first-team coach, did not it? He's just signed a new contract with us, but we're looking down the list with Steve Bruce and Frank Lampard on it. Um, no, I'm, I'm fairly indifferent to him, really. I, we've never worked out what the purpose of Brandon Austin and Alfie Whiteman as sort of third or fourth place. It do, doesn't feel like there's any succession plan to you know to get them on uh, you know on the bench or to be Vicario's natural backup. So I guess this kicks the can down the road for another six to twelve months or so, doesn't it? He seems like. Like he's a fairly likable character and he's probably of, 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 of net good value whilst Vicario is fit and continues to play for the first team games. I, I suppose with, with the FA Cup game against Burnley is the next time we're likely to see Forster. But yeah, yeah I, I, I feel like he's probably the, the, the best number two that we've had, which sort of takes in a, a fairly unlikely group of, of anti-heroes in what Joe Hart and... Um, the 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 other the other goal the Italian goalkeeper we had now we decided pretty we made our mind up about pretty Gallini wasn't much up to it Gallini that's it who's Michelle, having a, who's Michelle having a brilliant season right now. he's having a brilliant season right now Gallini in Syria yeah yeah so. something yeah I think yeah, yeah. I, think, I think Ricky pointed that out to us didn't he um, where he's playing um, so yeah he, uh, yeah as I said I, I don't think it's any more than kicking the can down the road but it probably suits all parties to do so I I just have no really passionate view on it at all great uh, nice bloke big Fraser big hands giant gloves I always feel secure when I see him in goal uh, that's when I see him as long as it's I not a penalty shootout think, yeah, because... that's when I start to think about a couple of the goals he has conceded again if Angie's happy with him I'm happy with him if I'm Brandon Austin uh, I have to wonder what as you said what's going on or maybe he knows what's going on and he's happy with it I don't know yeah it seems I, I, I am interested do you think that Ange will play him in the Cups, do you think he's going to do that? Or do you think he's going to look and say, well, I've only got X amount of games this season to play. I would like to try and win a trophy. I want to win football matches. So I'm going to play my best team in the FA Cup. And that is not Fraser Forster in goal. I don't know. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if he picked him again. Um, I mean, it'll be fine. You know, if it's a draw at 90 minutes, then bring on Vicario. <laughs> sub sub yeah, off your yeah. keeper. Yeah. Um, of course, it goes to a replay, wouldn't it, in the, in the third and fourth oh, of course. the FA Cup. So, yeah. Yeah. so we don't even have to worry about it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he played. I mean, you know, we might need, it, need him at some point. It's better that you get some minutes. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm similar. I, th- I think he's okay. I think he's... Um, yeah, he's he's reasonable with the ball at his feet, which is one of the most important things for Ange. I think probably the other important thing is that he's um, you know, positive influence around the ground and and is comfortable with the role he's playing. I think that's probably you know, one of the key things in a backup keeper because you don't get a lot of games and you you know, you don't want somebody who's gonna be moody and a bit of an arsehole about it, do you? Um I hope in the summer we sign or you know, maybe January we sign a young keeper who can push Forster for the um you know, to be second choice. Um because, like you said, there doesn't seem to be much succession planning. I don't hold out much hope of Austin and Whiteman. You know, they're both 24 now. Um, I don't hold out much hope for them. I wouldn't be surprised they both left in, in the summer. And the keepers in the under-21s, to me, look several you know, at least several years away from being ready for the Premier League. So, um, yeah, I think we probably need someone in to, to fill that gap uh, until then. But yeah, I think he's fine. It's fine. Um, and then lastly, Spurs Reach won Fans Diversity Award at the Football Supporters Association Awards uh, last week. I think it's brilliant work, considering, especially considering they've only been around since April 22. Um, so yeah, I was just wanted to say you know thanks to them. I think they're doing a great job. 
Um, and, you know, it's a really good sign. It's just nice to see them recognized for all that. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here. What I say to that. I agree with that. And uh, I agree that it's probably time to close this pod off, isn't it? Because there are all sorts of tangents and rabbit holes we could go down, but we are out of time. So thanks, lads. That was fun. Cheers, uh, we'll we'll you, be Steph. back next weekend to discuss our game under the Friday night lights against Nottingham Forest at the city ground, as well as any other Spurs stuff that has happened. Uh, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.